Do you catch that? Do you see movement in that? We talk about movement. What does movement look like? It looks like God coming into a life. It takes on a million different forms, a million different shapes, but God getting a hold of someone and reorienting their whole life, changing them from the inside out, creating them to be the person they're made to be, unleashing them. Do you see? Do you get it? And we're going to be showing stories like that throughout this series of just what God's doing here at Rocky Peak. But I'd like you to pray with me right now as we, uh, we pray to enter this series. Father, we come now as your people called in your name for your purposes, for your glory, your honor, your name, your fame. We come as a church at Rocky Peak. We come, Lord, on our knees and our hearts, bowed before you to receive what you have for us, God. We just want to say together as one church, we're ready to follow. We're ready to follow you anywhere. We pray that during this series as we lay out vision, we lay out values, we lay out strategies, God, that you would unite our hearts as a common, as a common person, as a common body of believers, and that we would pursue you passionately. God, that there would be many stories like that of J.T. Alpaz. We just saw many stories of transformed lives. It would be for your name and your fame. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Our story starts today back in the fall of 2002. I'm not sure where you were in the fall of 2002, but in the fall of 2002, Lynn and I had been in a church for over 20 years. And and it was one of those times in my life when God just, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but you just kind of turn a corner, and all of a sudden God starts doing new in your life. Like, like you never saw it coming, but he just decides like, okay, it's time to do something new. And uh, there wasn't anything bad going on. It just was, uh, that fall, there was just kind of like a, an awakening inside of me, a hunger for something more of God, a, a, a desire to know him at a deeper level, to, to flow in a deeper power, and it just was hunger. And it went on all fall, and show up in a lot of different ways, but, but it happened uh, like in December of that year, uh, after about three months of this, that I really felt like God was putting on my heart that uh, just a hunger to go before him in an extended period of time of fasting. And, and honestly, I didn't really understand what this was about. I didn't know why he was asking me to do this. I just felt it very clearly. It was, he was calling me to go on a long fast, like a 40-day like a fast, like a water-only fast, which is kind of a big deal. And so uh, I'd got, yeah, I'd, I'd got on some long fast before, but never that long, and it actually could be a little dangerous. So I, I did some consulting, and, and I, I went to some, uh, some of my closest friends, people that I really trusted their connection with God and, and their ability to hear from God, and said, hey, would you pray with me on this? And, and they came back to a person, and they said, we don't understand it, but we think you're hearing it right. And of course, the most important person in that, that process was my wife, and and uh, I, just, I just love Lynn. I love her ability to hear from God. I love her walk with God. And, uh, and so I asked her to pray about it. And she came back and said, you know, um, I, I think you're right. I think you're supposed to do this. She said, however, I don't think it's going to be a full 40 days. I think it's going to be a little shorter than that. <laughs> and, uh, and so with that, uh, launched in that uh, January, January of 2003. And, uh, and Lynn, as usual, was right. It was... Uh, on the, the 31st night of this fast, I was in praying in my den, and all of a sudden I sensed God coming and speaking to me and saying it's over. That uh, whatever was supposed to happen had happened in the unseen realm, and that it was over. And, uh, and during that fast, there's a couple of things that God spoke to my heart, and, and one that was really the, probably the most significant 
was what I felt he spoke to me and said that in 18 to 24 months, you're going to go through a major life change. And, and I didn't really know what that looked like or, or what he meant by that. Um, as I said, Lynn and I had been at the same church for over 20 years. It was a church in North San Diego County. Um, when I'd first uh, come on staff there, it was just two of us, me and another guy. Um, it was a little church, a couple hundred people. We were young kids, we were young punks. And uh, over the next 20 years, God blessed that church. And that church became a church of 5,500 people. And the staff grew to over 200 staff. And uh, we raised our kids there, and we learned ministry there, and had our friends there, our family was there. It was the area we, were, we, were, we had been raised and brought up, and so most of our life had been, had been there. And, uh, and so when God spoke to me and said, 18 to 24 months, you're going to go through a major life change, I didn't know exactly what that meant. I didn't know if he was going to call us to a new church or a new ministry, or was that just a new focus in the same ministry? Well, I didn't know. Let's fast forward now, 18 months. It's now June of 2004. One day, I'm just kind of minding my own business and go out to the mailbox, get the mail, and there's a packet in the mail. It's from an, uh, from an executive search firm. Uh, they're doing a national search for a new lead pastor for a church in a place called Chatsworth, California, wherever that, wherever that is, you know. <laughs> All I knew is north of San Clemente. <laughs> and we don't go there. <laughs> but as I opened up this brochure, and this had been well done, really well crafted uh, document, who church was, history, what they're looking for, and so on, I read down the, the descriptors, what they're looking for as a lead pastor, and there was something in my heart that said, like, oh, whoa. Yeah, and I turned to Lynn. I said, I don't know why they're doing this national search. I mean, we're right here, you know. And so I called the headhunter and uh, get some more information. And he was on vacation. Then we were on vacation. So we got back from our vacation. Still hadn't heard from him. And so we decided, let's just go up there. Let's just kind of drive up there. I still remember the day, you know, driving up, goes 5, 405, coming in the 118. Like, where are we? Like, where, where are we? It looked like Sedona, you know. And uh, did we go through a time warp thing or like what? Remember getting off at Topanga Canyon, coming down, driving up here, driving in the back parking lot, coming in incognito. Saturday night, 5.30 service, sat right over there where Jay's sitting, right over there. And uh, kind of taking it all in. And a couple weeks later, we get a call from the, the headhunter who's back from vacation, fills us in on the story and what's going on. We begin to pray over that summer. The more we prayed about it, the more we we investigated. We just felt, we didn't feel like God was calling us. And uh, that took several months to kind of discern that. And by the fall, it was October, I remember hooking up with the headhunter and saying, hey, we're, we're out. You know, we're, we're out. We don't think this is it. We don't think we're supposed to go. We're out. We're done. You, you're definitely done. We're definitely done. We're done, totally out. Totally out. Okay. Well, you go forward a couple months, and now it's December. In December of that year, 2004, it's been almost two years now, right, since the fast. Almost two years. And so, my church approaches me and says, Mike, we, we would like you to pray and consider taking on a new major ministry initiative here, a total change of focus. It requires a huge job. It requires a two- to five-year commitment on your part. Would you pray about that? And so we'll pray about that. And so first thing I did is I went to one of the members of our prayer team that I trusted, and I said, I can't tell you the details of what's going on, but the church has asked me to do this new thing, and would you pray about that? And she said, Mike, it's a, it's a weird thing. She said, I... Last night I had a vision. Now, she's only had three visions in her life. It's not normal. 
And she said, I had a vision, and I, I think it might be for you. Well, what is it? She says, well, that, uh, I could see, I was just praying, all of a sudden this, this scene came into place, and, and there, was a, there was a man, and he was in, a, in an airport, like a boarding area, and he had a ticket in his hand, and he was ready to board this, through this one gate and get on this plane, and, and just as he's ready to board, uh, someone comes behind him, taps him on the shoulder, and I couldn't see who they were, and gave him another ticket, pointed him to another gate, last second. She said, uh, does that mean anything to you? I said, no. <laughs> but uh, if, if you get any more details, let me know. <laughs> and so that month we began to pray about that. And honestly, didn't feel a lot of leading one way or another, but the church really wanted us to do that. And the guys were beginning to pressure me. Hey, Mike, you know, come on, we need an answer. And I said, okay, next Wednesday. Next Wednesday morning. If God hasn't been more clear with me, next Wednesday morning, it's the first of the year, then uh, then you can announce it. We'll have a huge staff meeting. We'll announce the whole staff that one of your senior pastors we're doing a whole new thing, a whole new ministry initiative. So it's Tuesday night now. Tuesday night, 4-15. January the 4th, 2005. And uh, my assistant buzzes me. Mike, there's a, there's a pastor on the, the line. I don't recognize him. I'd like to consult with you on some things. And I'm like, 4-15, it's getting late. I don't think so. Well, okay, I'll be a servant. <laughs> so I take the call. And it turns out he's on, he's on staff here at this church, Church Rocky Peak. He's, he's a small group pastor. He, he'd heard of me. The church I was at had a, a national reputation for small groups. I kind of pioneered those. And so he knew who I was, apparently. He, he knew about our church. And, but then he started knowing things he wasn't supposed to know. Like, like that I had been one of the top candidates here for this church. And that was supposed to be top secret. And, and he, he not only knew that I was one of the top candidates, but it's mysteriously dropped out along the way. And, and so he knew all these things. And he said, uh, can we just have an honest conversation about what happened and why you, you did that? And I, I, guess, I guess we can. And so we began to have this conversation. We had a great conversation, connected really well. The philosophy of ministry it just was a really cool connection. And... Uh, and as I'm on the phone, it's now 5 o'clock. We've been on the 40, 45 minutes. My assistant's leaving for the day, and so she sends me an email. Now, she, she didn't know who he was, didn't know why he was calling, but she says, is this the other guy? Is this the man at the airport with the second ticket? Next morning, it, I was supposed to be announced the next morning to the whole staff. This new major commitment, two to five years, I was making a commitment. And I was wondering the same thing as I was on the line. Well, as the longer we talked, I began to put together a little more clearly what was happening on his end. That on his end, that very night, the elders of this church were meeting with the search, the, the chairman of the search committee from the search, and that very night, they were going to be voting on another candidate to call this church. And, and when they got there and they reported in on this phone call that had happened that day, the, the church decided uh, the elders decided, maybe we need to wait on this. It seems like God might be up to something. And so that led to a, a whirlwind month. Uh, right away, we, I came up, met with the search committee, and then Lynn and I came up for several days. We met with the, the, uh, the elders. And I think we all sensed from the beginning, uh, God is just so obviously in this thing. It's just unbelievable. And uh, by the end of the month, I mean, it happened really fast. January 30th, Lynn and I were at a board meeting in Hawaii, served on a ministry board, 
and one of the reasons was we met in Hawaii. <laughs> and uh, all expenses paid. <laughs> yes, I definitely feel God's leading. <laughs> and I'll still remember a Sunday afternoon, I get a call from Greg Wood representing the elder board and saying, Mike, we've prayed about this, and, and uh, we, we believe God's in this, and, and we would like, we don't know how you're feeling, but we would like to extend an offer for you to come and be our, our candidate. And, uh, and we agreed to that. And one of the most amazing things about the story was that, remember that day that, that staff member called me, that January 4th, that Tuesday. The next day, my assistant comes in. She says, what was that about? Who was that on the phone? I'm telling her the story. And, uh, hey, I, I think God might be in this. I think that this might be what's supposed to happen. It's an amazing conversation. And she said, Mike, and she has a great memory for dates, and she said, Mike, remember that fast two years ago? Yes. <laughs> she said, wasn't it two years to the very day yesterday? And you got that call. I, oh, I don't think so. I remember it was early January. I don't remember the exact date. And let me go check it out. Check it out in my journal. I'll report back to you tomorrow. Well, here's what I found out when I went to my journals is I went back and pieced this thing together. The very first day, that Saturday night, I came and sat right back here incognito. The very next day started the 18-month point. And the day that he called, that pivotal call, was two years to the day. 18 to 24 months on the nose. And so from the very beginning, when we've come, I think Lynn and I have had an overwhelming sense, not only that God was calling us here, but he had something very special in mind, this church. There was something that he wanted to do here that's very special. And, and I've talked to you about that over the years, um, those are just some of the reasons, a lot more reasons. But I still remember during that, that season of interviews, one of the questions the elders asked me, one of the questions the search committee asked is, Mike, if you were to come to our church, what would be your vision for our church? And that's the kind of question that search committees ask. It's, it's, a, it's a good question. What, what would be your vision? What do you see in the future? And what I told them was always the same is, I can't tell you that. I, I can't tell you my vision for the church because because I believe that God has a specific vision for every church. And and it's not our job to create the vision and then ask God to bless it. It's our job to receive the vision and then to follow it. Does that make sense? This is not, and and, uh, this is such an important concept for our church, not just for this message today, but for our whole future as a church. That we are a church who doesn't create vision We are a church that receives vision. And it's such an important concept. I want to spend some time with it. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to take about and turn to the book of John. And I want to, I think the best way to get at this is through the life and teaching of Jesus. And so I want you to turn to John. And there in your note sheet, you have a section called Jesus and Vision. And what I want to walk, do is I want to walk you through five statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Now, there's, there's many more of these in the Gospel of John. They're all there on your note sheets. You can check this out later. But just for time's sake, I just want to do five of them to give you the feel. The first one's in chapter 4. Uh, the situation, Jesus is, it's very early in his ministry. He's not really gone public yet. He's got a few of his men with him. He's starting to gather his followers, uh, his, his inner team. They're, they're traveling north out of Jerusalem. They have to go through a Samaritan area. He, he's hungry. He sends his men into town. 
to buy some food, he hangs out at the, the local well um, where, where he was, had an encounter with a, a woman with a very kind of wild past. And, and they're, they're having their conversation, and then the men come back. They've gotten into town, got a Burger King or whatever, came back, and <laughs> got the food, and, you know, Jesus got your food here, got your lunch here. And, and here's what Jesus says. He says in verse uh, 14, he says, my food uh, that which energizes me, that which sustains me, that which empowers me, okay, my food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. This is what empowers me in my life. This is what feeds my soul. This is what strength, this is what energy. My food is to find out what God has for me to do, and to do it, that feeds me. And to finish, now notice what comes next, and to finish, what are the next two words? His work. Can we say that again? His. Now catch this. Jesus did not come with his own agenda. Are you catching this? Jesus was sent, and what fed him, what energized him, was to find out what his father wanted him to do, and to do that, he called it his father's work. You see? Now here's what I'm saying. This is what you, as you study the life and teaching of Jesus, you think if anyone had the responsibility to hey, come up with his own vision for his life and ministry, it would be Jesus, right? He's the son of God. <laughs> I think he's capable. He's got the resume, you know. Like you figure it out, Jesus, and then you tell me, and then I'll bless it, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. What you see in his life is you see this principle that vision is not something we create. Vision is something we receive. And let me tell you, this is true not only for us as a church, this is a true, for your life, uh, true for your life, that God has a plan for your life. And his plan for your life is not that you go out and figure it out and say, God, would you bless this? It's to say, God, what do you have for my life? And then you partner with it. Does this make sense? It's a whole different orientation of life, but it's core to who Jesus is. Now let's take a look at the next one, chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus has just healed the man. It's on the Sabbath, a Saturday, uh, Jewish loss is no work on the Sabbath, and so the religious leaders are upset with him. You shouldn't be healing. That's like work. God would never do that. And so Jesus is explaining why he's doing that, and he gives you insight his whole philosophy of life, vision, approach to ministry. He says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. Now catch that. He can do what? Nothing. Nothing. He says, I just healed a guy. You're upset about it. You think that was my idea. Let me tell you something. I do nothing by myself. I didn't heal him because it was my idea. I healed him because my father wanted me to do that. See? And so he goes on. And he says, he can, uh, he can only do what he sees his father doing. Now, I love this. It conjures up the picture. Now, imagine Jesus, a little boy. He's got his... His stepfather, uh, Joseph there, his stepfather, is a, he's a, a stonemason or a carpenter. The word can mean either thing. And so Jesus is apprenticing, learning how to build buildings. And you can see Joseph saying, here's how you do it. You know how dad says, here's how you do this. Here's how you move this. Here's how you do this. Here's how you make the cut or whatever. And, and Jesus says, okay, now, and, and, and Jesus, I want you to try it now. And so he watches what his father's doing. And then he says, great, okay, now you try it, you see. And it's almost this image I get of this. Is that Jesus says in his ministry, it's the same thing. He says, uh, because whatever the father, um, <laughs> he can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Now catch this. 
one of the marks of a love relationship is communication. And, and so uh, Jesus says, my father and I are very close. He's always showing me what he's up to. And as he shows me what he's up to, then I come along and I partner with him. Now, can you see this? This is, this is God's vision for your life. God loves you. He's got a vision for your life. And as you draw close to him, he wants to show you what he's up to in your life so you can partner with him. And that is true not only for individual lives, that is true especially for churches. And so he says, uh, yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. You just saw me heal a, a lame man, pretty amazing. Well, in the future, I'm going to be raising people from the dead as my father shows me how. You see? And so you have this whole picture of ministry. Vision is not something we create. Vision is something we receive. Jesus is modeling this for us. Let's take a look at the next one, chapter 6. This is his bread of life sermon. Uh, The day before, Jesus had fed 5,000. That night walked on water, just a typical 24 hours in the life of Jesus. And, And so the next day, the crowds are following him because they want to get more free food. This is like a great deal. You know, it's like better than Denny's, everyone free breakfast on Tuesday. And so in verse 38, uh, Jesus is talking about his approach to ministry. Here's what he says. For I have come down from heaven, catch this, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, can you be much clearer than this? You're going to see this over and over in the life of Jesus. This is not about me. This is not my agenda. This is not my vision. This is not my goal. This is the Father's goal. Turn with me to chapter 12. And again, we're skipping over many that we could look at that say the same things. But in chapter 12, (coughs) verse 49, he says, For I did not speak. Now, so far he's talked about what he's done, healing people and and what he does in his ministry. But here he's talking about his speaking, his teaching. For I did not speak on my own accord. You know, what I've taught you, what I'm saying to you, it's not my own idea. But the Father who sent me, there it is again. Remember, it's God's agenda. The Father who sent me commanded me, catch this, what to say and how to say it. One of my prayers as a pastor here is, God, every week when I get you to teach, would you show me what to say? Would you show me how to say it? Jesus was an amazing teacher, not only in what he said, but how he said it. And what he says is that wasn't his own stuff. The, the father showed him what to say, how to say it. He didn't make up this message. You see, it came, are, you, are you catching this? <laughs> Can he be much more clear? You see how ministry works. You see how life works. And God is the source of all good things, and we flow with him. Right? Now, let's look at one last one in chapter 17. This is the last night that before Jesus was arrested. Within hours, he'll be arrested. And... He's with his men, and he's praying, and a few of them get to listen in, eavesdrop on his prayer. And, and remember what he said in, in, in chapter 4, in John chapter 4, at the start of his ministry with the Samaritan woman, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, right? So that's the start of his ministry. Now he's at the end of his ministry, and looks how, like what he says, 17.4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You see this? So, so once again, he says, okay, I, I have God, I've, I've brought 
honor and fame to your name, which is what it's all about, right? By completing the work, the assignments, the vision that you had for my life. See, and so this is the calling on all of our life. It's, it's to find out what God's agenda is for us, what his vision is for our life. You carry that out. That, that how you raise your kids, how you do your marriage, how you handle your dating life, how you uh, uh, do ministry, uh, how you handle your finances. It's all the same. God, what do you have for my life? What's your vision for my life? What's the work you've given me? And then do it. And that is the same as a church. And this, this is why when I met with the elders way back then, four years ago, and they said, what is your vision for this church? I couldn't tell them because I didn't know then. I said, I can tell you my values. I can tell you who I am as a person. I can tell you who I am, the things I cannot change about myself. These are the things I believe. I can be totally honest, but I can't tell you my vision for this church because God has a vision for this church, and it's not about me. It's about God's vision for this church. You see, and if I come, then we will have to wait upon the Lord to see what is your vision for this church. Well, about 18 months ago, we began to feel as a senior staffers, senior pastors, and the elders, we began to feel together that the time had come for us to really begin to seek God for a clear sense of vision for this church. And and so for the last 18 months, we've been going before the Lord. There are hundreds, thousands, I'm not exaggerating, of hours that have gone into this. Discussion, prayer, seeking God, reading, word, the word, uh, 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 just books, retreats, wordsmithing, seeking God together. Uh, what is your vision for this church? And, and that's what I want to share with you uh, in this series. And, and so here's, let me kind of lay out how it's going to go. That, that in this series, today we're going to talk about the vision. All right, kind of big picture vision. And, I, and we're using that word in a very comprehensive sense. So the vision, the purpose, uh, you might call the mission. If you're from a business background, you know that often you have vision statements and mission statements and purpose. We're just kind of, we just want to keep it simple. If we have one statement, it says this is what we're about. And, and that's what we've been seeking God for. And so today we're going to be sharing that with you. Here is a, kind of the best, kind of, if you boil it down like into one state, this is what we exist for as a church. And that's what I want to share with you today. And then in the next seven weeks, between now and Easter, I'm going to be sharing with you seven core values, one value a week that we believe God has written on our hearts for this church. This is who you're to be. This defines who you will be. This is who I called you to be. Uh, This is, as you pursue this vision, this is your identity, all right? And so every week, we'll have one of those. And then after Easter, we're going to get more practical, and we're going to talk about the key strategies to achieve the vision. Okay, so does that make sense? We have vision, values, and strategies. And that would take us probably up to about June as we talk about uh, our calling for the future. So um, now here's what I'd say about this. That as uh, we, as, especially between now and Easter, as we talk about vision and values, here, and, and I guess even after Easter, this is going to be true, that there's going to be a few things that are new to you, especially after Easter. We talk about strategies. There might be a few things that are new. Um, but by and large, most of the things that I'm going to be sharing with you in terms of vision and values are, are going to sound very familiar. And, and the reason is, is because the reality is God has been downloading 
these, this vision and values of the last four years, right? And we've since that as a church, series by series, week by week. It's almost as if God is every week in the last four years given us a new kind of, uh, it's like a huge jigsaw puzzle. He's given us a new piece every week. And now after four years, it's like God's saying, okay, now it's time to take all those pieces, the last four years, and we're going to put them together in this big jigsaw puzzle, and we're going to hold it up, and it's going to be a picture of your future, you see? And so, so I think a lot of what I'm going to say, especially a lot of next week, is going to sound like, oh, that sounds familiar, Mike. I've heard that before. This is, a, this is not totally, yeah, it's yes, and, but it's the picture, the clarity that's going to allow us to run together as a church. This is who we are. This is who God's called us to be, and we're able to run into our future together. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's, let's jump in then. Let's talk about the vision. I think the best way to get at it is to, we've carefully crafted a, a vision statement. And I think the best way to get at it is just to jump into this statement, kind of walk you through that and, uh, and, and kind of unpack it. And so what I'm going to do is the first line there, I'm going to start with that because this is the heart and the core of the statement. And so if you, if you had to boil it all down, say, Mike, okay, so, so boil it all down for us. Why do we exist as our church? What's the vision? What's the purpose? What's our mission? Here's how we would put it. That we believe God is calling us to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. That God's calling us to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. Now, uh, let me unpack that a little bit. Let's, obviously, each word is uh, uh, carefully chosen. And so let me, let me, uh, let me let's take a stab at, th- at three of the words or phrases. Number one, movement. We've talked a lot about this. Well, this is a word for us, right? That's a word God's been writing in our heart the last couple years. That when Jesus came, he launched a movement. His movement was called the kingdom of God. It was a movement to realign the whole universe. To bring all of heaven and earth under the leadership of the true king. This is why he taught us to pray uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed or honored be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the movement of Jesus, to bring all of creation, this fallen cosmos, back into alignment with the true king, that he would restore our relationship with him, that we would be restored into the freedom we were created to experience, that the whole creation would be restored. This is the kingdom of God. And this is the movement that Jesus came to unleash. And so his, the primary message when Jesus came was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see? And so, and so we believe God is calling us to be a part of this movement that Jesus started. Now, number two. The second key word is unleash. And I gotta tell you, I love this word. I, I love the passion of it. I love the wildness of it. I love the supernatural of it. You, you, might, you might say, well, Mike, why don't you say to create a movement or to inspire a movement or to start a movement you know, or launch a movement? Well, the reason is we're just so aware that we can't create anything, that only God does movements. Right? That we don't do movements. We don't like, oh, let's get a message together, like some a band together. We sort of movement. You know? It's like, no, God creates a movement. It's a supernatural thing. But what we can do is we can get out of the way and unleash it. 
by surrendering our lives to him as a church and say, God, whatever you want to do, we're for you 100%. Would you use us whatever you want to do? That's when movement gets unleashed. And you see this in the early church. You see it throughout church history when a group of people say, we will follow you anywhere, come hell or high water. You are our God. You do with us as you please. Here we are. Use us. That God says, okay, you will be unleashed. You see? And you'll be unleashed to a new freedom in your life, and you'll be unleashed to touch lives and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, I, I often get a picture when I think of this word unleash of a huge dam that's just full up to the brim with water. It's got this tremendous capacity to bring life to the valley below. It's got this tremendous capacity to turn huge turbines that will generate electricity that will light a whole city. And yet until that water is unleashed, until it's released, it stays stagnant. And so that God wants us to be a people that surrender to him and be unleashed to do this movement. Now the third word, the third phrase is this phrase, passionate Christ follower. Again, a common phrase that we use here. That, that we believe that Jesus is calling us to be a church of true followers. That we've, we've talked this before, that we're, he's not calling us to be a church of church goers. He's calling us to be a church of Christ followers. Men and women who love him more than anything else, who will follow him anywhere, who will be changed and transformed to become like him and will be used by him to be his hands and feet. That we are a passionate, there's a passionate Christ follower. Jesus, we love you. We will pursue you. We'll follow you, whatever the assignment. Okay? And so you put this together, and this becomes the heart of our church, that we want, we exist to unleash a movement in these three valleys and around the world, wherever he sends us, that we exist to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. Now, I want you to notice something about that statement. The who is more important than the what. I want you to catch this. And you might want to write this down. This is very close to my heart. That who we are is more important than what we do. I want you to write that. Who we are is more important than what we do. In other words, that, that in the future, God could call us to do a million things. We know a little bit of the vision right now, but we don't know the Hulk's 20 years. I don't know about your life, but God doesn't typically give 20-year uh, blueprints, right? He's not in the business. Uh, it's, what did Jesus do? Is like He said, as the Father shows me, I will do more amazing things. And God typically doesn't unpack the whole future. In this series, I'm not going to tell you, here's a 20-year plan for this church. I'm not going to be doing that. We've got some things to share with you that are on the, on the radar. Here's the strategies and so on. But, but, but at the core, what we believe is that who we are is more important than what we do. Because if we're the right kind of people, if we're a people that want Jesus and to please him more than anything else, and that's the goal of our life, then he will show us what to do, and we will do it. But if we're the wrong kind of people, it doesn't matter what the vision is. We won't achieve it. You see? see well, often we think of vision. And I don't know what you felt like when you came in today. What's Mike going to say? But often we think of vision. We start thinking things like buildings and programs. Oh, are we going to build buildings or are we going to tear down buildings? Are we going to redesign buildings? Are we going to buy property? Are we going to sell property? Are we going to start ministries, stop ministries? Are we going to start a new outreach to the poor or this thing, mission thing? And, and instantly our mind goes to, we think of vision, we think of what we're going to do. Can I tell you something? The heart of this church, our vision is about who we are. 
if we get the who we are right, Jesus will show us what to do one step at a time, just as he's been doing the last few years, you see? Okay, now, but it's not as if Christ followers don't do anything. By definition, we're doers. And so there in your note sheet, I want to tell you four things that Christ followers do. So we, our vision is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers who are, number one, who are pursuing God. Now, we've talked about this, pursuing God. You know, Jesus was once asked, what's most important of all the laws? You know the answer. He said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be passionate God lovers. More than anything else, you want to know him, to please him, to experience him, to be transformed by him, to hear his voice, to follow his leading. That is the most important thing in all of life. And so we say with Jesus, as passionate Christ followers, if Jesus, if that's what you say, that's what we're going after. We're going to pursue you, right? Number two, the second thing they do is loving people. Remember, Jesus was asked, what's the top two commandments, or what's the top command? He said, number one, love God all your heart. Number two, love others with a sort of radical love that you love yourself, right? He illustrated it by saying, you, I want you loving your enemies. I want you loving the people beat up by the side of the road. I just want you loving people. I want you to be a, a group of people that love others radically, Christians, non-Christians, Buddhists, Hindus. You just love people. You just love people. And, and so, God is calling us to be a church that passionately loves people, you see? Number three, what is the, a Christ follower? Serving sacrificially. The third mark of a passionate Christ follower is they know that life is not about them. They know that life, that they have been created for a purpose. They have been gifted by God with certain spiritual gifts to make a difference. They have been given time and resources and life experiences and talents and skills and that God has called us to be like Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. And so when you become a follower of Jesus, you become a servant of, to your family, to your friends, to the, to the body of Christ, and to all you come across. We are people or our identity as servants. Okay? And then number four. Number four is in sharing Christ. We've talked about this before as a church, that when a man or a woman comes to Jesus, you become part of his movement. That there's this movement to take over the world, to bring the whole universe in alignment to the true king. And that when a man or woman steps over the line to follow Jesus, it's not just about us, it's about becoming a part of this whole uh, movement to bring all of creation in. There's men and women all around us who don't know Jesus. They don't know the good news. They don't know that they could be unleashed in their life. They could, they could be forgiven. And it's our job to take them there. And so in Matthew 28, Jesus says, the last things go into all the world. Recruit followers. Teach them how to obey me. First thing, baptize them. <laughs> that's, just, that's how you, you start the journey. Baptize them and then teach them how to follow me and I'll be with you in this journey. And so in, in Matthew 6, he says, we're to seek first the kingdom. It's our priority. It's why we're here on planet Earth. It's why he's left us, why we don't just get saved and get zapped away. It's like we're here to, be, to spread his movement. Now we have different roles in this. We're not all mini evangelists, right? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that we understand that with our gifts and personality, that God is, you're, not every one of you is going to be out there in street corners or going door to door or, you know, and the, find a person in a plane next to you. Hey, you know, have you ever heard of, you know, four spiritual laws? We're not going to be that. that. 
But here's the thing. That if we are passionate Christ followers and God is changing us, guess what? People are going to notice. And they're going to ask questions. What's happened in your life? I notice you have peace and I don't in this financial crisis. I, I, I've watched how you've done this. And, what, and we're going to have opportunities to say, hey, why don't you just come and see? Why don't you just come and see? Why don't you just come to me? Just come with me to church. It's going to be different than anything you've ever experienced before. And why don't you just come and check it out? And they're going to come to Christ, you see? So we've all got a role to play in this mission of Jesus, this movement of Jesus. And so, so, so what does it all mean? I mean let's, let's stand back. So our, our vision is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers who are pursuing God, loving people, serving sacrificially, sharing the message of the movement. See, that if you want to boil it all down, that's what this church exists for, right? Now, one of the questions is, of course, well, where do you stand with this movement? Uh, are you in? Are you out? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you not? You know, outside looking in? Are you inside ready to go? Where do you stand? Every one of us has to decide that. Throughout this series, as I said at the top, we're going to be sharing stories of the movement. What does it look like to be a movement? It's so clear in my mind, but I realize when I say it, it's often like muddy in yours. Like, what are you talking about? You know? And so we want to just share stories, just kind of random stories of what God's doing here at Rocky Peak that just give you different pictures of what does it look like when God's on the move. Stories that will inspire you, stories that will move you, stories that will model for you what it looks like. And we're going to have another one of those stories right now. And uh, then when the story gets on, J.D.'s going to come up. He's just going to play a beautiful song. It's a worship song. It's a prayer. And, and I just want you to listen to that. Just let him minister to us in music. And, and then I'm going to come up and kind of wrap up this time and give us a chance to think of where do you stand with this movement?